Welcome everyone, I'm Kate Arkell, Research Development Manager at Retina UK. Today we're going to be talking about a new initiative called My Eyesight, with sight spelt S-I-T-E, which aims to give people living with rare eye conditions ownership of their own digital medical data. I'm joined by the project's coordinators, Andrew Webster, Professor of Molecular Ophthalmology at University College London, and consultant ophthalmologist at Moorfields Eye Hospital, who has a special interest in genetic eye disorders. Nick Nettleton, founder and CEO at Loft Digital. And Nicholas Pontikos, a computational scientist who's currently a Moorfields Eye Charity Career Development Fellow at University College London. So thank you all for joining us. Um, Andrew, what is my eyesight in a nutshell? So um, thank you, Kate, for having us. Um, too. So um, in a nutshell, it's, it's a, um, an application, a web page for patients with um, a long-standing eye condition, a rare eye condition, um, to manage their own clinical data um, from whatever hospital or whatever source. Um, and we think that's a good idea for two reasons, which we're going to go into, but that's what it is in a nutshell. Okay. And what prompted you to start the project? How did you identify a need for something like this? So, so there, were, there, there are two main motivations. For, for me, because I do a lot of um, research into these disorders, and this might not be obvious to everyone, but it's, it's one thing doing research into common disorders, such as age-related macular disease or glaucoma. We can easily accumulate a lot of clinical data to look at to analyze and to learn more about the disorder. But working in the field of rare eye diseases, as I do, specific forms of retinitis pigmentosa or um, juvenile macular dystrophy, this isn't available to us. We have to work harder to join together data sets. And I've seen many attempts to do that despite trying very hard and despite goodwill and, and some um, input of money. I've seen lots of um, attempts to do that fail because it's very difficult joining up data sets from hospitals, from different countries, um, even from different branches of the same hospital. And we come across um, a number of, of different impediments to do that. So one aim is to, one way around that is to give patients the data to look after and then they can accumulate data from whatever source and let them be the um, owners uh, of the data. So that was my main aim and from a large amount of data and rare disease we can do all sorts of things that that Nico can can comment on this he's a researcher who would benefit from this and um, so that's the research aspect secondly independently but in a very related way there is the, the clinical need to join up data and I know Nick who I met at the beginning of this project um, had the same insights almost instantaneously Nick you you might want to answer this you, you um, see it from a, a patient's perspective the fact that hospitals aren't very good at keeping data together is that, is that right yeah yeah so for, for me my interest in digital health stems from when my um little boy was born he's four years old now and uh, my experience in hospital then was was that while the, the 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 staff the nurses the clinicians were working terrifically hard they were really struggling with the systems and the organization and the efficiency and and, and, and managing information there um and I thought, wow, these are problems that in business, we've, we've really solved these problems. I've been developing applications for, for the best part of 25 years um, since I was a child. And so I, I, I straight away saw that there was a really exciting opportunity for 
um, designers and techies like us to create better services for patients and for staff within the health service. And so when I met Andrew and he, he started talking about these challenges that he was facing with his patients and the ability to get access to data about them, that, that was really exciting for me. And because our, our angle on technology is always about thinking not what can the technology do, but what does the user want? What is, in this case, what does the patient want and what does the clinician want? And how can we use technology to serve their ends? That became a really interesting problem to look into and solve. And working together, we quickly identified that this is really all about patient empowerment. So a big problem within the health services, the NHS has been trying to solve the problems itself. Whereas the patient as a data subject is the only person who really has the right to bring together all their data and decide who has it, that the NHS can't do it without the patient. Um, and so that creates the opportunity to, to, to look at creating an application where the patient essentially becomes a controller. And with technology, we can make that happen at a large scale um, rather than you know, individuals, very organized individuals collecting their data in folders. We can create technology that makes it easy for ordinary people to, to do that and bring all their data together and, and share it with doctors and researchers. That's that's great, thank you. And and so Andrew, in terms of somebody who, who's got a, a rare eye condition, how might being a part of this project make a difference to them going forward in terms of their interaction with their clinicians and their care? So, um, so um, yes, yeah, so there's an immediate way that, that Nick has as mentioned, so we're not very joined up in hospitals and with optometrists that now get a lot of data on a person's eye condition. We're not very good at, at joining up, up the data. So it would help with that. It would make um, the consultation a lot easier. And much of the data that we get on patients, say we take an eye photograph or an OCT scan of the back of the eye, that's useful immediately, but it's a lot more useful if we can put it in the context of previous images. What, how have things changed? And very often a person will want to know that. Have they reached a plateau in their disorder? Might things not get worse in the future? And we can answer these questions if we've got previous data to look at. And also importantly for rare eye diseases, the biography of a person is really important. And so we're aiming to get that up on a, a patient's um, record um, so that we have um, an easy way of finding out what the milestones are of the disorder um, throughout their life, which tells us an awful lot about what might be causing it. So there's that immediate um, insight. And then, then secondly, how might it help people um, clinically? It will help us do um, um, distant virtual appointments. So with the COVID era, um, we're forced to do something we should have been doing earlier, and that is um, contacting patients virtually. We often don't need them to come to hospital um, if we've got some data from an optometrist or a nearby hospital, or we have enough data already in the system to look at. And so if we've got an easy way of looking at that data, we can forego the long trip to somewhere like Moorfields, which many people understandably find challenging, um, and instead have an appointment over a call like this. We're doing a Zoom call now, and we could easily do something like this with the patient, and we're increasingly doing so. But what's missing at the moment is having an ability to look at the previous data in a form that's useful and immediately accessible. So those are, that's two ways in which we think there'll be a me, an immediate benefit. When this is up and running, an immediate benefit to the way uh, we manage patients with these disorders. And Nicholas, um, I wonder if you could just uh, share with us um, some insights into research, because 
A lot of members of our community are very, very interested in research and would like to contribute if, if possible. So how can data that's in my eyesight facilitate research into, into genetic eye disorders? Uh, yes, yeah, so as, as uh, Andrew and Nick mentioned, um, patients, uh, rare eye disease patients, um, well, firstly, they are, they are seen uh, in multiple hospitals across the country. And uh, it's very difficult to, to link up that data. So one thing my site can tell us is give us some idea of the prevalence of, these certain, of certain of these very rare eye diseases. Uh, for instance, I mean, based on our data, we expect that there's no more than say 10 or 20 people in the UK that have certain types of diseases. And we don't necessarily know where they are and which hospitals they are seen at. Uh, secondly, um, it can help us in joining data uh, and obtaining uh, for instance, detailed uh, clinical notes directly from the patients rather than going and uh, finding the hospitals where to get that data from. Um, it's quite difficult, even once we know, uh, even to get data from ho other hospitals is quite complicated, even if we know which hospitals to go to, because we have to uh, go through a whole uh, process of information governance, uh, which is very complicated. And uh, we have to sign material transfer agreements. The whole process can take a very long time patients are in a much better position to share this data with us directly. Uh, and having uh, large amounts of uh, imaging data, for instance, medical imaging data, can help us build uh, AI systems, which are able to automatically recognize these very rare diseases. So this is something I'm, I'm, I'm working on. And uh, the challenge is to have sufficiently uh, big data sets to train the, the AI, AI algorithm. And finally, as mentioned by Andrew, it can also help us understand the progression of the disease. So uh, the natural history uh, progression of the disease, which is really important when people are, are developing uh, trials to know how the disease progresses uh, naturally and how the trial is changing or uh, improving the condition. Okay, great. So I think that's that's a really good summary of, of what what this application can actually achieve. So when it's up and running, how will it how will it work? Can you walk us through the process, perhaps from the perspective of a person living with one of these conditions and including how they request their data? Perhaps Nick and, and Nico, you can help us with that. Yeah. Shall I take this one, Nico? Um, so we're just embarking on a beta phase for the application at the moment. And so for the beta phase, we want to register patients by hand so that we can help them through the process and also to give us the opportunity of forming that relationship with them so we can learn from their experience and, and learn how to make the application better. So re reaching back into the origins of my eyesight um, almost two years ago, it's always been a very collaborative process. We've continually engaged with patients to understand how to, how to solve the problems. And we want to continue doing that through this beta phase. Um, in, the, in the near future, we'd like to open that out so people can register in the normal way, fill out a form and, 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 and click the button and sign up and log in. Um, but just for now, we want people to register through us. Once, you, once you've registered or signed in, you can complete your health profile information and upload data. And, and we want you to um, tell us about um, what your diagnosed condition or conditions are, if you know. Um, what your afflicted genes are, if you know, if you've had that, that, that information answered and to add your medical history, um, but also to upload data that you will get from the hospital. So appointment letters, 
or OCT scans, diagnoses. Now, if you don't have these at the moment, you can request that information from your hospital. Every hospital, for every organisation in the UK has, a, has an obligation to send you data about you if you ask for it. And that's called a GDPR subject access request. Um, you can go onto the hospital's website and find the relevant page and it'll tell you the email address to ask for. We, we want to automate that process in the future, um, but what we want to do is to make sure we can get my eyesight live so patients can start using it without waiting for those uh, kind of bureaucratic processes to be resolved with the health service. We want people to be able to start putting in their data already if they've got it. And that will help us to start learning right now, is, is the idea working and, and how can we improve it to meet your needs and, and what are the most important things? Um, then once you've put your data into my eyesight, it'll appear on a, on a timeline. So you'll be able to browse back through your, your history and filter by different types of information. Um, you'll be able to share it with um, your clinicians. Um, and again, so for the beta, we're just having a, a select group of about six clinicians who we know very well, who will work with Andrew. Um, but of course, in the future, what we want to do is open that out to a broad range of clinicians, but also you'll be able to share your information with researchers and with friends and family. We've identified that, 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 that in this patient community, the ability to share your information with people in your family, either because they share um, genetic traits or, or, or with friends for the support is really important. So we're, we're also developing a theme around helping people to facilitate those kind of community relationships that are really important to them. Okay. Do you envisage the... Sorry, Andrew. Um, and we're, we're also hoping doctors will help in that, that data inputting. And so these attempts to try and get data all in one place to learn about uh, rare eye disease have failed because the motivation has been wrong. It's usually been on the um, on a, a junior doctor having to do this uh, for research projects, which, which they then leave. But if patients are the motivators and they're the, the drivers, this will work. And so if a person wants me to, when I'm seeing them, for instance, in clinic, wants me to make sure this aspect of their data is right and that their hospital appointment is correct and that the sort of data they've got is correct, then, then I will do that. And most doctors would. So, so long as the patients drive this, which they are likely to, um, I think it'll, it'll work and we'll have a a data set which is far more accurate than trying to do it without the patient really knowing, you know, uh, on their behalf between researchers. So putting the patient at the centre of things, I think, will, will make this succeed. And do you envisage, I mean, will the process be quite straightforward in terms of actually, I can imagine some people who are perhaps a little bit uh, technophobic, worrying about this data coming to them and then uploading it to the app. To the app. Is, that, is that something that's going to be fairly intuitive. We've worked hard to make it as easy as possible and as familiar as possible to, to other systems that people might use for uploading data. So for example, if you get it digitally, um, if your hospital sends it to you using a system such as egress, you can upload it quite easily from there. If they send it to you in paper form, which a lot of hospitals will still do, you can use your um, phone to take a photo of it and upload it that way. So we've tried to make it easy, um, but we recognize that it's making it as easy as possible is crucial and there's gonna be room for improvement. So a really important part of this beta for us is to understand wh which are the steps that people are finding difficult and how can we make them better? We want, we want that feedback. Okay, that's brilliant. And. Um... Will parents be able to use this on behalf of their children? Will parents be able to access their children's records? 
in, in yes, in the future, but for the beta, we're focusing on adult patients. Okay. In the future, that's that's really key because childhood disorders are important, and they often these lifelong disorders, not always, but often they start as children. And that the sort of data that we get from the beginning of the disorder is important from both a clinical and research standpoint. So that's a clear goal for us in the future. For the beta, that's not going to be possible. We want to make it simple to make sure we, we get all this right. But, but later on, absolutely, yes, we want parents to, to, to look after their, their, their child's data. We've all seen parents have, carrying around wads of information on their child. And, and, and you know, it's just really hard on them. And hopefully this, this will make that process easier for them. Um, Nico, what what are the technical challenges that you expect to face in, in working with, with clinical data from hospitals and, and trying to get meaningful information out of it? Uh, yes, so um, data in, clinical data in hospitals can be quite um, heterogeneous, can different data formats, can be quite fragmented as well across multiple systems. So it really depends on, on the hospital. But uh, from, our, from our experience, for instance, at Moorfields, we know that, uh, well, we have multiple um, types of uh, image formats from the multiple uh, vendors for, that make the cameras to take retinal images. And these are not necessarily uh, compatible. So they need to be exported to a, a, a format, an open, uh, open source sort of uh, data format, such as DICOM, for, for example. Um, or they can be given as, as just images, as uh, JPEGs or PNGs. Um, so yeah, making sure that we get the data in the right format is going to be a, a challenge and making sure that we get the relevant data as well from the hospital. So some images are very useful uh, to people uh, like, like myself uh, and of Andrew and, and other clinicians as they are the most sort of objective form of data, but also, um, patient notes, uh, but not necessarily uh, very, not handwritten notes, for example, because these will, might be difficult to decipher. Um, but it's it, getting the sort of right level of data is going to be dif difficult and in the right format. Perhaps Andrew wants to, could comment a bit on, on that from his point of view. So, so that, that I agree entirely. And um, there are these challenges with formatting of, of data and, and Nico has been uh, bothered by that and working hard within the hospital systems to try and make this a simple process and those, those are challenges we have to overcome but we're hoping data can come from different sources and so having a person report their symptoms their biography of symptoms firsthand will, will be really helpful to us the alternative is to read a tired doctor's notes from you know 2000 or so um uh, which is reported information from the patient. It's best to get it straight from the patient. And so that's one thing we want to do. And going forwards, we're hoping that it'll be possible for patients mm -hmm. to monitor aspects of their disorder themselves. And so there are um, some um, attempts, which I think are very promising, for people to try and monitor their visual acuities, their central vision, which is the important part of these disorders, um, on their mobile phone. And then they can add that data um, themselves without needing to do a Snellen chart at a hospital. Um, and that sort of thing would be very useful. And this, this application, we hope, will be able to store, store such data. And that will grow, I think, as we, as we go forwards. Um, thank you, uh, Andrew and Nico. Um, Nick, I can imagine that some people might have privacy or security concerns about having all their medical data in the app. Can, can you reassure people from that point of view? Where does the, where does the data actually sit? 
Yeah, absolutely. This is a key question that we've had top of mind since the start of the project. Um, the data is stored in the EU, it's in London, um, and it's stored there in a secure environment. It's encrypted at rest and at transit. Um, and the only people who have access to the data that you put into my eyesight are the my eyesight team um, and anyone else who you agree or you want to share it with. Um, so my eyesight is not sharing information with people who you don't specifically agree to. So that could include clinicians, uh, research studies, friends and family. And can the data, can people lose their data? You know, are they, are they then responsible for it? Could they lose it? Um, well, the data that you put into my eyesight is stored in a secure way. So it's in a safe location. It's also backed up to a different geographical location. So if there were to be a major incident in London, let's say, um, the data is stored somewhere else for safekeeping. Um, and I think you also had a question about, about sort of data retention, which I think is linked, but I'll let you ask that one to Andrew. In the context of losing data, Kate, um, hospitals lose it all the time, don't they? You know, we're very often faced with no notes in the clinic and, and patients are quite rightly disappointed or we can't find this or that image. Um, so, so we're hoping to do a better job than that. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like this actually might circumvent some of that uh, because the patient has it themselves and it's, it's stored somewhere centrally. Exactly, it's not being stored on their behalf, but, but by them by uh, a bespoke um, application, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really reassuring. So, Andrew and Nico, if, if somebody hasn't actually, we know that a lot of our community haven't seen an ophthalmologist for a while, um, several years even, will their hospital data still be accessible? Um, is it worth getting hold of? I, I can uh, answer that one. So, so it, it should be available from the hospital. And so when, when I see a person at Moorfields, um, none of the previous digital data has been deleted. It can sometimes be very hard to find because it exists on a, a platform that I have to make an effort to find, but it's still there and it's very useful in long-standing disorders that we deal with, retinitis pigmentosa, um, to, to look at um, a person 20, 30 years ago can really help us understand the disorder and, and understand natural history. And that, that's important also for Nico's research in, in understanding the way these disorders progress and doing natural history studies. So it's important to have that data. Hospitals keep it, we'd want to keep it too, but we've got to be careful about that. And we recently had a discussion about when, if ever, we should delete data from the system if a person hasn't accessed it. Um, but my, um, my drive would be to keep it as long as possible because people very often with these lifelong disorders have a rest from seeing a doctor, quite understandably, for five, 10 or even more years, and then come back and they, they really want to know about it again and they've heard things about treatment trials. So we, we look towards keeping it for, for a long time, yes. What about optometry data from, from an optician, from an optometrist, is that, is that accessible for the app? Is it, is it worth having? Uh, yes, sorry, I'll, I'll answer that. Um, yeah, so certainly, um, it is worth having, especially that now more and more optometrists are getting the, the same types of cameras as we have in hospitals. And so we are able to see very, get very detailed images of the retina. Um, and, and absolutely, you can request your data from an opt optometrist by the same principle as was explained through GDPR, uh, the subject ac access request. You are entitled to get 
access to any uh, information any company holds about you. So be it Specsavers or any other high street optometrist. Uh, I have personally requested my uh, data from uh, uh, when I had my retinal scans done at Specsavers. Um, they might, uh, it might to facilitate things. I mean, they're not usually used to this sort of, I think with time, they'll get more used to this types of requests, but uh, certainly uh, if you have your own sort of uh, drive, portable um, hard disk or something, or USB stick, uh, you can give it to them when you go to your next appointment and they will put your, their images, the images that they've taken of your eye, they will put them on, on that disk in, uh, and you can ask them in a, as, uh, as JPEGs or PNGs, basically as a image image file format that you can view on your computer. And then you will be able to then upload that yourself to my eyesight. And Kate, this is a really important question because a lot of the data is useful at optometrists. So, so nowadays they're taking OCT scans, which are really accurate. And uh, we were doing, you know, only 10 years ago in hospitals. It's really useful digital data. But as well as that, there's, there's refraction data, what the glasses are, what the acuity was. That is what the, the visual test was a year ago um, is important. And very often people like me are having to write letters to optometrists and get consent from patients to get that data because it's not obviously available. So wouldn't it be easier to have a, a web page that optometrists can easily upload the data? We hope it's easy for them uh, in response to a patient and just have it there and, and we don't waste time in trying to get it. So it's useful data and we want to include it and it'll help people going forwards. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a, a really uh, a sensible thing to do to join join up ophthalmology and op optometry and, and have all that data together. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so what stage are you at now? How can how can our community, how can the sight loss community help you now and, and get involved now? Um, Nick, perhaps, or, or Andrew? Should I take that? Take that one, Nick, yes. OK, so um, we're just launching a, a, the beta um right now and uh what we're looking for is um a small group of of, of of keen and willing patients or people from the sight loss community um who have um some data ready or, or are able to 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 get their data from their hospitals to come and use the application um and to uh, put their data into it to have um tentatively an appointment with it, um, especially if, they, if they're already um, connected um, with Andrew um, or a member of his team, that would be particularly useful, but not essential. And to give us feedback on the application and how well it works. Um, so we're envisaging, this is, the, this is the beginning of my eyesight being used um, it, for working with real data. And once we're using it, working with real data rather than dummy data, I think we're gonna, we're gonna learn some really interesting things about how well it works for patients, but also how well it works for clinicians and how um, useful that data is for research and what can we do to improve it. So, so, so if many of the listeners can just log on, you know, after hearing this, that, that will really help us, that the more the merrier. And also we, we need funding, of course. So if we can show that there's an interest by the number of people that have been to the site and registered with it, then, then that will help going forwards, um, persuading people to, to invest in this. And how, how can you just quickly tell us how can people actually register if, if, uh, if they're interested? So if you go to the homepage of the website, myeyesight.health, then you'll see there um, a, a space where you can put in your name and your email address and register to join what we're calling the My Eyesight Network. 
Um, so that doesn't immediately add you to the application, but that adds you, if you like, to our, our community of people who include patients and professionals in the space um, who, we can, who, who, who we can reach out to um, and ask to join. And if you'd like to be a part of the beta, I think there's a box there that you can tick to say, yes, I'd like to be a part of the beta. And um, we, we know we have some international listeners. Um, are you just looking for people in the UK at the moment to certainly to take part in the beta, but also to register? Is this going to eventually be an international project, do you think? So, um, yeah, so it, we, we want this to be international. And that, that was an initial driving force for this. So these, some of these disorders are rare. Um, some of them are very rare. So I see some people with a one in a million disorder, a gene that that affects the eye one in a million people. And I might see three at Moorfields, you know, there'll be about 60 in the whole of the UK, but there'll be about 300 in the US and there'll be over a thousand in India and even more in China. And they'll all be going through the same problems. They'll, it affects people in China as it does here and everywhere. Um, and so, yes, we want to make it international to amalgamate as much data uh, as possible. And even in the, the common disorders, ABCA4 is the most common cause of um, inherited eye disease causing central visual loss. That can be divided into subcategories that we need to learn about. And there may be um, rare, rare changes in the gene that we don't understand. Well, if that's happened in, in China once or twice in a person with the same disorder, we know that it causes disease. So there are lots of reasons for it being um, international. Um, so yes, people can certainly register um, internationally. I'm in contact with colleagues of mine that those of us that work in rare eye disease are quite well joined up internationally. Um, so we could go international quite quickly, uh, I think. And so the first stage is, is for people from, from different places to, if they understand the site, it's only in English at the moment, but that, that can be broadened going forwards um, to, to register their interest. That would be helpful to us. Okay, great. And I mean, as a team, do you do you see this kind of thing just becoming commonplace in the future? Do you think ownership of digital health will just will just become routine part of care in the future? I um should I should I start on this one? I I I, I think so. I mean, I think over the last few years, there's been a, a lot of sort of talk and, and concern in public opinion about big corporations using our data as an asset. And in, in my eyesight, we really wanted to look at that a different way round. And I took my inspiration from, from those mums and dads who, who carry great big folders of their children's data. With that comes the realization that actually our data is an asset of our own. Um, and that by collecting it together and putting it into a place and organizing it and understanding it, we take ownership of it. You can't really own something, even if it's about you, if you don't know what it is and you can't use it. But my eyesight, by empowering people to use it, we're, we're, we're creating an asset. And then as soon as we realize that our health data or all kinds of data about us is an asset that, that we can use to make our own life better, to improve our own outcomes in life, then it becomes obvious it's something that we should all be doing and in, in, in every field of our lives. And I, I agree, Kate, if I may. It's, it's, it'll be inevitable, I think, because there's so much data now on a person's condition. And gone are the days where we'd attend one hospital all the time. Um, we're going to different places now for our, for our disorders and for our healthcare, and the healthcare's joined up. So very often, um, an eye doctor would want to know about a person's um, treatment for their renal failure. Um, and that's not obvious unless they attend the same, happen to attend the same hospital. Um, and so it makes sense to, to join that all up. 
and there are many applications that are in increasingly giving patients access to their clinical data, but, but still very often that's sharing data already to hospital rather than copying it to a site where the patient actually looks after it and owns it and can put it all together in one place. So I think in medicine going forwards, it, I'm sure it's, it's got to be the case, I hope it is, that um, there'll be an increasing um, drive to have patients, if they want to, um, have patients look after copies of their data and put it all in one place so that um, a clinician can access it and, and treat the patient better for it, and also if the person wants to, to share that with researchers. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And um, <clears throat> I'd like to add as well that uh, when you have um, access and control over your own data, you, it, it does enable you to uh, understand your condition better, as been said, and also you can contribute as was mentioned, uh, we can contribute uh, to our own health data by, for instance, uh, answering uh, questionnaires or providing additional information. So we can, it's not only just about um, having the data from the hospitals, but it's also contributing more to that data and having it in one place so that uh, doctors can easily um, access it. Um, and it, it, is a, it is absolutely an, a, an asset that, uh, a lifelong asset, in the same way you have a bank account, uh, you know that's you know you, that's your livelihood. Well, your health data is your livelihood, and and taking ownership and and uh, you know keep making sure that it's it's updated uh, and and accessible to the right people is really important for your for your care uh, now or in the future in 10, 20 years or so, and for your children as well. Um, they might need to access you have know more about your conditions uh, if your children, for instance, you know, uh, are seen by, by a doctor, if it's in the case of genetic conditions like the ones we look at. So yeah, definitely. Thank you. So um, thank you all, uh, Andrew, Nicholas, Nick, um, for talking to us today. Um, if you're listening and you would like to know more or register for updates, just a reminder that the website is at www.myeyesight.health um, and that's site spelt S-I-T-E. Um, and alternatively, if you'd rather, I think, I think there's an email address, is there Nick, that people can, if they find that easier to use? Yes, you can send your email to hello at myeyesight.health. Brilliant. Uh, thank you very much for talking to us today. Thank Thanks you so much. much. Thank you.